Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to this episode of the Sustainability Unwrapped uh, podcast. My name is Robert Chukita, and I am an assistant professor at the Hankin School of Economics. And I teach and I do research on digital marketing. Today, it is my pleasure to to have a conversation around uh, one of the most interesting uh, topics uh, uh, of the day, which is artificial intelligence. And uh, for that, uh, we've invited two two guests that help us understand a bit more about what some of the opportunities and challenges around artificial intelligence are, and especially how they might relate to sustainability and ethics. So uh, I would like to directly give the floor to to uh, our guests, and uh, I will start with uh, Martina Chaich. Uh, Martina, maybe you would like to to tell us a bit about yourself, and uh, especially so uh, who you are and uh, what brought you into AI. Uh, yes, thank you, Robert, uh, and hello to all our listeners. Um, I am Martina Cajic and I'm an assistant professor in strategic service design at Aalto University, uh, School of Arts, Design and Architecture here in Finland. Um, but my background is in business. Uh, I did my PhD in marketing uh, in Maastricht in the Netherlands. And I focused on, in my research, I focused on how disruptive emerging new technologies affect human values. For example, uh, privacy, safety, independence, self-actualization, um, human well-being uh, in terms of different um, functional, psychosocial, cognitive health, and overall service experience. In particular, uh, my studies were mostly in elderly care, and I focused on social robots. Uh, these are those type of robots that can kind of behave and look like humans uh, or in human-like manners. They can understand facial expressions or um, they can engage in conversations. And uh, they're introduced to different elderly homes um, as, as, as a machine that can help uh, prolong the independence of older adults. And I was really curious to see how elderly people are going to react to these robots and whether they will accept them, whether they will indeed perceive them as as human or social entities. Uh, so that's how I kind of got into the topic of robotics first, and then that extended more into artificial intelligence uh, a bit later on. But as an introduction, I think this is fine. All right. Thank you, Martina. So uh, moving from uh, from Finland to the other side of the world, it's my uh, pleasure to introduce uh, Stefano Tempesta. So Stefano, welcome. And uh, maybe you would like to tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what brought you into AI. Yes, hi everybody. Thanks, Robert. Uh, well, after Martina's introduction, I can only sh shy in front of uh, these. But uh, if I can give my contribution, I'm, uh, yes, I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, although I'm originally from Italy. I'm a CTO at Connecting Software and a Microsoft Regional Director, which is a, a program of a trusted advisors to Microsoft and the community. Uh, I do a lot of these uh, advisory services. Uh, I, oh, not services, but really cont free contribution to the community. I'm currently uh, advising to the Department of Industry and Science here in Australia on the National Blockchain Roadmap. And my current focus is on helping people really around the world to gain and own their own digital identity with initial specific focus on the education sector. And I'm also a technology advisor at a startup here in Australia called Carbon Asset Solutions, which is a, a 
Climate Action and Sustainability Network no, with a mission to slow carbon dioxide emissions and remove uh, the excess uh, atmospheric CO2 use, uh, by using uh, regenerative uh, agriculture technologies or innovative uh, agriculture technologies. So my passion for AI was uh, driven by the desire of connecting uh, the, the, um, the study, the academy behind it, to applica application to the business world, no? so to uh, agriculture, to uh, robotics, uh, to uh, industry in general. So trying to, I'm a person of technology, I'm a person of action in some way, so I like to connect uh, the aspect of uh, uh, machine learning uh, uh, to a, a real practical usage and get uh, some, uh, some business or some uh, real uh, world application out of it, but also with a special uh, angle on uh, sustainability and impact on the society. So try to make the world uh, a little bit better using technology and using uh, no, the best of uh, the, our capabilities as uh, humans. All right, thank you, Stefano. So before we we delve into uh, into into some of the, the the key topics of today's discussion, just uh, if this is your first sustainability unwrapped uh, uh, episode, uh, the idea is that we 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 try to bring together uh, a research perspective and a practice perspective, and we try to understand what are some of the the key topics and what are some of the key challenges that. Uh, uh, you know, cutting-edge academic research is dealing with when it comes to to the topic of AI, but also what are people actually doing in practice? What are organizations actually doing, and what are they struggling with? What are the the, the opportunities? And I think uh, maybe as a disclaimer, we will we we will be only scratching the surface uh, in our conversation today because. Uh, I think it's probably an understatement to to say that uh, AI is a very complicated uh, topic which can be approached from from multiple angles. So that's just more more kind of a this is the ABC of the introduction, if you will. And uh, uh, we all we have also compiled a set of of, of resources that uh, uh, people who want to 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 read more and who want to go a bit deeper into some of the things that we discussed today. Uh, these uh, the links to these resources will be available in the episode description. So uh, let's maybe start with uh, probably uh, something that sounds simple to begin with, but uh, is actually quite complicated. Could you maybe describe, at least in, in, in your understanding, what artificial intelligence or AI is? And do you maybe have an example from, from either your, your own work or something from popular culture maybe that kind of uh, provides an idea of what you think uh, AI is. So uh, maybe give the floor to, to Martina now. Um, yeah, as you just said, it sounds simple, but uh, it's not very simple at all. Um, I'm actually currently working on a project with one of my PhD students where we are doing systematic literature review to trying to understand the definition of AI. Uh, and we are still working on that. Uh, so I don't have a simple answer, but I will maybe start by saying that um, AI is not a new term. AI has been coined in the mid-1950s, um, and I, I think the, the father of AI, John McCarthy, defines it as the science and engineering of making intelligent machines. And in, in that, it would be something about machines doing tasks that would require intelligence if they would be done by humans. And at least that's that's my understanding of, of AI. But then there are these different maybe uh, typologies or, or levels uh, in AI. We might talk about uh, narrow or weak AI, general or strong AI, and, and maybe the, the super artificial intelligence. And when you ask for examples, I think most of today's examples are on this narrow or, or weak uh, level of AI, uh, which is the type of AI that can only do type of tasks that it's designed to do. So doesn't learn, doesn't go beyond what is programmed to do. Maybe here I could give an example of um, 
Alexa or Siri or chatbots that we might have on different websites. Um, so this is this is how I I would say that the current status of AI is. But then there are some predictions that maybe within next 10 or up to 50 years, AI will get to the level to be able to do some of the tasks that are a bit more on a human level, such as maybe even sensing or empathy, consciousness. But yeah, these are just speculations. Uh, but yeah, you said a simple definition. So I'm going to give some space to Stefano as well. All right. So yeah, Stefano, what is your simple definition of uh, AI? No, exactly. I don't think there is a simple definition, but we can try. We can try to you know, put some boundaries into it because uh, I, I, I like what Martina said, uh, you know, it is really about uh, mirroring or mimicking the behavior of, of people with machines. So machines that look alike uh, are humans, uh, but without uh, yet all the aspect uh, you know, of fairness, uh, inclusiveness uh, and empathy, which are uh, probably not even connected uh, no, in our imaginary, they're not connected to the brain. You know? we, we associate artificial intelligence with uh, brain capability. So then uh, when we code computers to do something intelligent, uh, what we are saying is uh, you machine, try to do what a person, a real person, can do using their brain, which is uh, no, recognize uh, images, recognize voice, uh, speak. It. So all these are tasks that machines now can do pretty well, and sometimes even better than, you, than uh, real people in you know, translating from one language to another one, in uh, recognizing patterns or anomalies in big data set uh, that, that a person will struggle. Uh, but that is part of it. That is uh, you not know, the brain part of it. But there are a lot of other attributes that we typically associate uh, with a soul or with heart, you know, like uh, uh, being empathetic, be being fair, uh, uh, being uh, transparent uh, you know, and, and understandable. And these things, uh, machines are not there yet. There are principles that uh, we apply to make sure that machines uh, can uh, can remove bias. And I'm sure that we will talk about it uh, in a moment, uh, not from, uh, from uh, the data that they analyze, but this is still uh, a, a long way to go. So yes, so machine learning or deep learning or cognitive learning, so these are all different flavors of artificial intelligence. They are all about uh, sort of mirroring uh, the, the brain capability of users or people in, uh, in uh, but at scale. This is, as an engineer, I like to you know to use this expression that we do this uh, with machines to reach a scale that otherwise people will not be able to to uh, to achieve uh, individually. All right, thank you. I think it's extremely interesting, and also in 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 my role as moderator, I'm going to try to somehow also uh, uh, maybe maybe summarize some of the things that that you were you were saying. I think uh, I I really love this this idea of distinction between brain and and soul or heart. I think that's mm. uh, that that's something that is that is very useful to to consider and how. Yes, indeed. When it comes to more type of mechanical processes or or, or tasks that are clearly defined and can be uh, done at, uh, at at scales, that machine can be much better than uh, than people. So, uh, artificial intelligence can translate text from one language to the other, but um, sometimes the results can be kind of strange because uh, maybe artificial intelligence doesn't uh, uh, understand things such as irony and 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 things like that. So, there are always nuances, but the the reality is that nowadays on our phone, right, we can take a photo of a text and uh, the text, in, which is a language, like in our case in Finnish, and uh, we would get an English, an approximate translation in, in English, which we simply did not have uh, 10 years ago. And uh, uh, th th that's kind of where we are now. Uh, another thing that I found kind of interesting in, in, in your, uh, let's say, in your definitions was that uh, Martina was very much talking about um, 
and I'm, I'm guessing this is maybe maybe a, a, a bias on, 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 on your focus in, on, on, on users and consumers, but you were talking about technologies that have very much a consumer kind of or an end user sort of focus, right? So you were talking about the type of applications that you would have uh, in your pocket uh, on your smartphone. Um, but so that, that would be almost like AI as, a, as an outcome or some, some sort of, sort of application that people are aware of. But in, in what you were saying, Stefano, there was also AI more as a process or so something that is happening in the background that can help applications, right? I'm, I'm not sure that everybody understands that, let's say, image recognition that is used in, um, uh, you know, whenever people have to go on these websites and they're asked, which one of these is a bus stop and so on. I'm not mm -hmm. sure they understand that they're actually training AI and those applications can be used for, let's say, things like self-driving cars. So, Again, outcome versus process and the fact that we have consumer facing applications, but we also have background applications that are uh, being used to empower uh, other types of, uh, of, of applications. I think we're going to talk about that a bit more. But um, I was just looking this morning before starting this conversation, I was looking for some recent statistics on, on AI and uh, I, I found a report on Statista that was uh, talking about the revenue worldwide market of AI around 10 billion US dollars in 2018. And uh, uh, something that I found kind of interesting was the AI contributions to China GDP in 2030 around 26%. So clearly there is a lot of uh, buzz and a lot of talk about AI and people are putting a lot of numbers and values and investments in AI and so on. But I would like us to maybe take a step back and discuss, okay, we kind of talked a bit about what AI is, but maybe also what isn't AI. So I'm, I'm guessing also maybe for many of the listeners, it's still a bit of a fuzzy kind of uh, concept. And it would to, to further delineate it, maybe it's a good idea to also give some examples of what isn't AI or what we shouldn't call AI, although maybe in the media uh, it's referred to as that. Any thoughts on that? Well, I can maybe piggyback on what Stefano was talking about, the brain and the soul or the heart. Uh, and in my research with older adults, we would actually measure um, whether they perceive robots to be competent and warm, whether they, they would perceive the warmth coming from them. But one thing that they were not aware of is that the robots were controlled through the Wizard of Oz method, uh, which means that there are behind the scenes researchers who are controlling the robot during the experiment. So the robot isn't actually on the level to really show empathy or to really engage in these um, uh, nice conversations with the elderly, but they, they were not aware of that. So they did perceive the robot to be friendly, to understand their troubles, but they were not aware that they were actually talking to humans behind the robot. So in this case, I would say we need to make a distinction that the robots are still not on that level. Uh, and that would be a case of, from my own experience where, where people think based on the experiment that they are actually interacting with AI when that's not the case. Yeah, that would be the first thought. <laughs> All right. Stefano, any examples from your side of what does not constitute AI? Yes, actually, no. And there is a, um, I do a lot of no, public speaking in the community or just communities. And a lot of times uh, people ask me, but I have this problem and can I resolve it uh, with uh, some artificial intelligence, with some machine learning? And uh, I first try to ask, uh, do you need uh, no, uh, your machines, your algorithm to uh, improve accuracy over time, to make some prediction based on current conditions over time? That will probably be a good candidate for some form of machine learning. But if you are just automating tasks, no, so repeat the task over and over again. And based on some variables, you decide to take one action or the other one. That's not machine learning. That's not AI. That's just business process automation with some conditions. And then you decide, okay, I'm taking this action or I'm taking this other action, depending on some variables. Or another example, if uh, you're analyzing some data, and so identify patterns 
in a, a large data set, a small or medium, large, whatever data set, and then uh, you know identify the a sort of draw uh, some uh, lines, some chart to identify some some uh, no, some patterns or some data into your data. Uh, again, that is not uh, AI. That is uh, statistics. So nothing. Uh, fancy in there this has been around for years and years and is mathematics the value of uh, of uh, uh, the value of application of machine learning is in the ability first of all of uh, working uh, um, without uh, being uh, without data set being labeled so without actually knowing what you are trying to find and helping humans in finding things where they don't know where to look at so having that extra capability to identify uh, uh, patterns in data that you don't know upfront, one aspect. But the second and more important aspect, in my opinion, is the ability to learn over time and improve. So when you uh, you have a data set and then you make some prediction, and that can be purely statistics, you know, based on something that happened in the past, that's the likelihood that something happens again in the future, Again, there's no machine learning, that's just statistics. But then with the new data coming in, it, it, the, the algorithm can learn more and more and become sort of smarter and more accurate over time. There is uh, the power of machine learning, which uh, you know is a blur soft edge with statistics, but it, 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 that's the difference between applying a mathematical algorithm that is predictable and then you get uh, you know, a consistent result over time, ju just applying a formula to the, um, to the prediction that machine learning can do, which may change and very likely will change as data is uh, collected and models are retrained over time. Yeah, also maybe from from my side, what I what I notice a lot, uh, especially within the past five years or so, I mean, Martina started by by telling us that uh, AI is 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 not new, and uh, you know it's been the, the discussion has been there since uh, since the 50s or it started in the 50s. And mm. I actually went this morning to to Google Trends to look for for how has the you know how has the 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 change in or what is the trend in looking for artificial intelligence on Google since 2004 and actually uh, the, the the discussion has been fla uh, fairly flat so it, it's not that there has been a lot of, uh, of of change in recent years so these topics have been discussed and have been in the in the attention of uh, of, 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 of media and researchers and so on but kind of interesting to to link to what you were saying I noticed that there was a bit of a shift between machine learning and AI so uh, in the early 2000s, AI was kind of a, a topic that was researched, uh, or at least it was searched on Google quite a bit. And then machine learning kind of overtook, uh, at least especially since 2010 and so on, machine learning actually overtook uh, uh, artificial intelligence as the key uh, uh, search term. So I was wondering, maybe since since you brought it up, Stefano, can you explain maybe for a, for a lay audience what machine learning is and how it works, uh, uh, you know, for for someone that has never really heard. And because you you also seem to 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 talk about machine learning and AI almost uh, interchangeably. And I just want for for someone that's never heard of artificial intelligence and machine learning before, what's kind of a a, a simple way for them to to think about this? And uh, uh, yeah, no, look, you're right. I, I, they're not interchangeable. So artificial intelligence is a broader uh, category and the machine learning is part of it as well as deep learning or cognitive learning. So they are all uh, sort of uh, branches of a broader artificial intelligence. I tend to speak more in favor of machine learning because that's my area. I specialize in that uh, section. I do a lot of machine learning, regression, classification. Uh, that is uh, you know, the area where I find a more uh, tangible application to uh, technology and to business. I, I guess you know, to answer your question around uh, uh, you know, the trend of AI shifting into machine learning, uh, uh, I guess that uh, most of the uh, buzz around AI in um, a few years ago was uh, especially pushed by 
by, by Hollywood in some way, no? So creating uh, an expectation that uh, machine, uh, that I keep on saying machine learning, that <laughs> artificial intelligence is, uh, you know, that uh, superpowers uh, that make you uh, travel time uh, or uh, do some uh, prediction of, on um, on conspiracy or on crime. Think at Minority Report, you know, a movie a few years ago. And all these sort of, uh, uh, also, as uh, Star Wars and these sort of things, you know, same, seems like... Uh, Everything is uh, artificial intelligence, but then, uh, but then, what happened is that uh, actually uh, a very specific application of this artificial intelligence capability, machine learning, which uh, is uh, you no know, an analysis of data to identify patterns in historical data set to make prediction that something is likely to happen again or a quantity is uh, obtained uh, again. So think uh, of, uh, in, uh, think of the Amazon model. You no know? people that have bought this have also bought this, this and that. So you can make a recommendation in that aspect. Or uh, given some different conditions, uh, uh, da large data set that contains, uh, I, I don't know, think of uh, uh, people that uh, you know, want to apply for, for a loan in a bank, then uh, the, what is uh, this, the, the risk of uh, lending of to, to you know, people that are in different categories? So that is uh, what machine learning is all about, is about uh, Analyzing data, data set, identifying data set that are too large to uh, for humans, for people to make something out of it in a reasonable time. Also able to identifying something that people don't know because uh, we as a uh, no, engineer, data scientist, we know we we know and we don't know what we don't know. Simple as silly as that, right? Uh, but uh, this is where the, the ability of machine learning is, uh, to identify some key components uh, or key, key features that we can't anticipate. So help us finding something that we don't know up front. And then learn over time and improve. So the, what happened then is that this technology actually works. And it can be applied you know, to some very tangible use cases, risk assessment, anomaly detection, network intrusion, uh, object detection, uh, voice to text uh, or text uh, uh, transcription, text um, voice synthesis. So at the end, what happened is, uh, hey, actually, we can apply this technology to do something tangible, to, to get some business out of it. So the shift from Hollywood, which speaks about the beauty or the, the, the big potential of artificial intelligence into something that can be applied to make money, to make the society better, to create applications that people actually use, you know, and uh, Martina mentioned Alexa, Siri, and so on, then the shift is also in terms of interest from people. People don't look now into, I don't know, uh, you know, talking to HAL 9000, but actually about building a chatbot that can understand and can provide customer service. That is an application which, in my opinion, is more interesting because it provides a result that I can use now and not just watch a movie about it. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Stefano, and I think that we can probably continue talking for another hour about the, the distinction and about yeah, different sorry. machine learning applications. But I think it's important to 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 be aware of those distinctions and to 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 try to understand. And I'm sure that you you will have some resources for for our listeners in case they want to 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 see more and and, and understand more. But uh, I'm also it's it's impossible to talk about AI and not breach this uh, this horror this uh, this this Hollywood perspective. And uh, mm -hmm. I would like to turn. Now now a bit to 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 Martina. So uh, you, you do work on 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 social robots. So uh, are we are we close to the to the machine uprising or uh, not there yet? If we listen to to Hollywood, right, we had the Terminator already at the at the end of the 80s, and then uh, we had the Matrix at the end of the 90s. 
where machines are kind of uh, taking uh, taking over and turning us into their uh, their slaves. So, uh, what do you think? Are we uh, are we moving in that direction or? <laughs> Well, I would say that we are definitely not there yet, uh, but I think it's good to think about the dystopian futures and to kind of understand what kind of futures robots uh, can maybe usher us towards um, and to understand in which ways they can maybe destruct or disturb currently held values or um, well-being of consumers. Again, coming from from more of a consumer perspective and and not the AI, um, I'm I'm not an AI person, but I remember maybe a couple of years ago there was an article about a recruitment uh, robot that they were developing somewhere in Sweden, and I got really excited about it because they were writing how it's going to be completely free of human biases and how it's going to improve the the recruitment process and. And after this very short term of enthusiasm, I started thinking, but really, can we say that it's going to be free of human biases? And is it really going to be better than actually having humans interview uh, candidates? And then I started getting more and more into this area of ethics and and uh, maybe algorithm bias. Um, and that's kind of sparked my new interest with some of my master thesis students. Um, and I don't know whether you would like me to maybe elaborate a little bit more on what I mean with algorithm bias now. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go to that in in one second, and I think that's a that's a perfect segue. It's just that uh, what, one thing that I wanted to to maybe summarize from from this part of the discussion before we move to the to the AI challenges, particularly in relation to ethics and sustainability. I think it's extremely interesting that that uh, you are bringing these two perspectives, and 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 one is this this very kind of process oriented, which is how does AI work and that's machine learning and at the end of the day for machine learning you don't need to have a uh, you know some sort of uh, anthropomorphized uh, robot like thing machine learning can happen in the cloud right or most of the time actually does happen in the cloud so probably a very good example of machine learning at least in in, in my understanding would be the AI from the movie her would you would you agree with that? Maybe it's is is because it's it's just this idea of something that happens in the cloud that doesn't necessarily have some sort of uh, of manifestation. Whereas I think for a lot of people, it is easy to relate to the idea of a robot being AI because that's also what uh, maybe 60, 70 years of uh, of sci-fi has been teaching us and kind of telling us to to expect. But I think. Uh, interestingly speaking for also for our for our listeners it's good to be aware that ai doesn't necessarily need to be a robot a robot can have ai but nowadays at least if i understand from the conversation we are still developing ai as software so maybe at one point it's also going to be connected to 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 uh, to to hardware in a different way but uh, I think it's probably safe to say that we are not uh, we are not close to what the the, the sci-fi visionaries were uh, were envisioning, which also makes sense, right? Because uh, they were not aware of uh, of the technology developments that uh, that we will have now. Indeed, I think Martina just started talking about uh, the, the 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 issue of of ethics when it comes to AI, and uh, of course, uh, from, from her perspective, it was about how a robot can can make a, 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 a less biased decision. Um, and, and of course, connecting a bit to what also Stefano was saying before, there are all these algorithms, which is again another buzzword around the AI, right? An algorithm that uh, uh, optimizes some sort of decision. And of course, we can consider that the robot from, from Sweden was programmed to make those decisions based on some sort of algorithm, right? So what are, what are the challenges of uh, artificial intelligence when it comes to ethics and or sustainability? So maybe you started with ethics, Martina, so you can continue with that. And then uh, Stefano, you were already discussing uh, sustainability in the, in the beginning. So maybe you have a, an example for that. So what did you, what did you learn about ethics in AI, Martina? Yes, thank you. Um, well, for for the algorithm bias, which was uh, a term that I got introduced to maybe two years ago, um, and it, it can simply be explained as um, a systematically 
unfair treatment of uh, a certain group of people in comparison to others uh, based on the algorithm. And you can see that Stefano was already mentioning some um, bank loans that can that can happen definitely in that uh, scenario. Also, maybe in uh, detecting shoplifters with the facial recognition in, in supermarkets or the recruitment AI that I was just mentioning with this particular robot. Um, or now with um, with COVID-19, there were many examples coming also from the education in which um, some universities didn't um, couldn't organize exams. So they used some kind of algorithms to uh, decide which uh, students will get the um, possibility to study at their schools. Uh, one famous example is also Apple Card uh, that was found to be discriminating against women and giving women less credit uh, than men, equally qualified men. So what we see a lot in these algorithms is that somehow they tend to be biased towards women and minorities. Um, that, that was something that I found out in my research. Um, and then we need to think about how do we get there? So whether it's because of the, the data, because the data is again produced by humans and we are having our own biases and the data is never neutral and the algorithms are learning, feeding from that data, but also who is designing those algorithms and whether we have the diversity of teams involved in designing um, AI. Um, yeah, these are, these became very interesting topics for me for, for further research. This is still in a nascent field of my interest. Stefano, any any thoughts on so uh, how 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 do you see this this idea of algorithm bias and what are some some challenges and as, as, I mean of course uh, uh, we at, as as researchers we stand uh, uh, you know stand on the sides and try to kind of understand how these things work but you actually work uh, with developing algorithms and with the data yes. so how does this phenomena sound from from your side? Look, uh, you touch a critical point, uh, but the reality is that uh, it's all about people. It's not about AI itself. No, Martina made it very clear. It's about the data and about the algorithm that you write. So AI is not something uh, not that has a brain on its own. It's a computer that runs an algorithm. And this, if this algorithm, which is a collection of instructions, is coded, to act in some way is because the programmers have coded to run in that way. But also, and that's the power of AI, is uh, it works because it learns from existing data. But if we feed data that is unbiased at its source, then we obtain biased results. There is no magic in there. And you cannot code fairness. You cannot called inclusiveness. You have to provide data that is fair and is inclusive. I have an example. I, I was working uh, some time ago on a, an algorithm for detection of skin conditions and then uh, using um, using the capability to identify a face, identify skin conditions like acne, uh, you know, like uh, uh, crown feet, uh, wrinkles, these sort of things. Then uh, provide uh, some recommendation on lifestyle improvement uh, or uh, or um, uh, products to apply and so on. But then uh, we fed you not know, our uh, machine learning system our 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 algorithm with data of white uh, middle-aged women so obviously as soon as you start applying any other uh, person or not to so test any other person the algorithm was very very uh, poor in terms of performance and even fail to identify those conditions now 
who can we blame for that if not just ourselves? Because we didn't feed, uh, we didn't provide enough data from a variety of different inclusive, uh, um, uh, no, variety of, of people with diff from different cultural backgrounds. But also on top of that, there is a problem of culture which is different from one country to a country. One aspect of the principles of AI that it should protect the and be respectful of your privacy. You know? So you mentioned uh, the shoplifter, but I'm thinking something more broader, uh, something broader, to be honest, like uh, you know, uh, cameras in the cities uh, that identifies uh, uh, people moving from one area to another one. And the intention is uh, to optimize uh, traffic congestions, uh, to provide public transportation that is uh, on demand. Uh, and so all good intentions. But who is using those pictures? Who is anybody detecting faces of people? Can be used for crime detection. What if you now someone has an alibi and say, you committed a crime? No, I wasn't because I was uh, not a uh, hundred kilometers away and there is camera evidence on that. So where's the protection from a privacy and security perspective? Who is using this data? Can this data be man man manipulated? And, and the reality is that uh, this is a cultural thing, because there are cultures, uh, especially in the Western countries, that are extremely protective of the, uh, our own privacy. And we don't want uh, our own movement to be tracked, location, face, uh, and whatever we do. And there are some other cultures, more on the Asian side, uh, I'm exposed to this uh, sort of experience, that uh, actually don't mind it because it's accepted and acceptable to have this sort of system that track uh, people's movements. So then uh, whoever called uh, this algorithm you know, to get back uh, to, to, to the data and algorithm for AI, uh, what cultural background should they introduce? <laughs> and that is uh, an open question. I, there is no answer. It depends and is uh, the current way, the current challenge for artificial intelligence. Thank you, Stefano. And I think it's uh, th th those are some some wonderful examples to to ponder. And I think uh, probably nowadays, if we look into the media, we hear uh, a lot of talks. And we've had this uh, this uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal a couple of years back that actually turned out to be very misunderstood in terms of uh, <laughs> big data and analytics and machine learning capabilities. But there is this idea that more and we, we leave more and more data traces that can be connected and that are collected by uh, private but also public uh, uh, organizations and that somehow uh, these data can be used to 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 make some inferences and to train uh, uh, algorithms and and, and uh, uh, machine learning. So uh, the fact that we are leaving these data traces is clear, but uh, you raise an important point, which is it is our responsibility as uh, as um, uh, programmers of of AI to 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 be aware of the biases that we might introduce and to also be aware of the the biases uh, 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 of the data. But now I maybe want to to go back to to Martina and ask how do we how do we design ethical AI or what are some 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 principles that we so aside from from the data and uh, and the algorithm which seems to almost uh, somehow uh, um, and and in some cases be very very uh, separate from the actual end user of the consumer but if we keep the end user in mind is there anything from from your research that you can uh, or from from your experience that you can can think about in terms of designing ethical AI. Mm, yeah, from from my research, and I did uh, talk a lot with elderly people and their formal and informal caregivers about some ethical ramifications of introducing social robots in their lives. And mostly they would talk about, as Stefano mentioned, privacy. There is also safety. Um, there is also data management. Uh, maybe there is this fear of um, especially older adults, that they will not be genuinely cared for and that it's all going to be fake and, and it's not, you know, not real emotions that are going to be involved in this. Um, but the topic is really difficult and we don't have any clear standards or principles on how to design ethical AI. 
I think that there are many initiatives around the world. Uh, different countries started working on separate documents on how to really do that. Um, just this year, um, there was one white paper published by Berkman Klein uh, Center um, at Harvard uh, University, and it's entitled Principled AI. And they uh, detected across all these different initiatives around the world that there are eight um, key areas uh, that we need to work on. And I'm just going to enumerate them now. So these are privacy, accountability, safety and security, transparency and explainability, fairness and non-discrimination, human control of technology, professional responsibility and promotion of human values. So they've detected that these are the things that now are being uh, discussed around the world in how can we design more ethical um, AI and uh, robots. But I think we are still far away from having very clear standards um, that are that are going to be used um, well within Europe um, already, but not even across the world. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Stefano? No, look. Uh, it's totally spot on. I know you have a huge list uh, of these principles, uh, but the challenge is uh, uh, according to whom are these principles correct? Which cultural background? So I want to be, you know, if you allow me, slightly more provocative and introduce a bit of humor. I have uh, three principles that I apply to my algorithm, and these three principles uh, we try, I, I invite. Uh, the listeners of this podcast uh, to think for a moment if they ever heard before. And also you guys here. So the first principle is uh, that AI should not harm any human. And the second one is that AI should obey any instruction given to it by a human. And the third one is that AI should avoid any actions that could cause it to come to a harm itself. Now, digest this for a moment. And then, these are the three laws of robotics by Isaac Asimov, who is a writer, he's not a scientist. He didn't write any, uh, that, any data algorithm and any machine learning. He wrote book, books. And iRobot is one of my favorite books. And for me, this is a manifesto of AI. Now, if an AI, well, he said a robot, he doesn't say an AI, but if a robot, an AI, doesn't harm a human, it doesn't do anything to harm a human and itself, then this is everything because it's fair, is uh, transparent, is inclusive, is uh, safety and reliability, all the other principles. Obviously, there is a long journey to get there and to actually implement this uh, in complete uh, entireness. I, I love that you actually brought that because I use Asimov's uh, also laws whenever I'm uh, sharing my research on robotics. And I, I agree, it's actually very simple. Yeah. Simply stated there, but difficult to. Yeah. And it, yeah. Robert is showing the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's that simple, but not that simple after all. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this this also raises probably one of the 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 most interesting questions about AI, especially when it comes because I think, um, again, uh, you, you you hit the nail on the head when you said, okay, ethical from whose perspective, right? Because we've already discussed that there are maybe some 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 different ways at looking at it and one is from the perspective of the algorithm and designing the algorithm and the data right so more or less the 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 how uh, part and then we have the 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 consumer end user sort of part in which people don't really understand what's in the black box they don't really understand what's uh, behind machine learning and how data is collected aggregated modeled used and how does the machine actually learn i think this this learning part is still something that is that is very tricky for 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 the average user or 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 consumer to 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 grasp myself included and i think um you know people do see 
kind of these or they have these kind of consequences which relate to 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 privacy and and personalization and the privacy personalization paradox and and things like that but uh, when you talk about the the, the laws of, of of robotics and of course the laws of of, of ai by extension uh, it also brings this problem of, uh, and I think it's uh, it's it's uh, Nick Bostrom in his super intelligent book that talks about the um, uh, what is it the the paperclip paradox, right? So you have this this AI that is supposed to 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 uh, um, uh, its job is to maximize the production of paperclips, and it is basically everything that it does is uh, uh, around optimizing this one goal of you know maximizing paperclip production and in doing so so the ai is doing what it's supposed to be doing but in doing so it actually basically destroys the universe because at the end of the day it is maximizing an objective and it's learning a lot in in doing so but this whole part of let's not harm others in doing so is put aside is missing and it's something. of course it's a it's a thought experiment and then it's also this this whole idea of how super intelligence uh, can be benign uh, uh, if 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 as long as the the um, kind of the 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 input and the 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 thing that needs to be optimized does not also take care of of uh, of these these other basic kind of rules which is you shouldn't sh hurt others you shouldn't hurt the environment etc etc but a these are things that maybe a lot of people find easy to relate to because they are falling under if not necessarily culture you were saying stefano culture but maybe something like common sense and i think at least in my understanding of of, of ai is that at least right now ai doesn't really have common sense ai can you know, uh, always recognize the cat from the the the, the dog in uh, 99.5 uh, times, but it doesn't really know that you know the cat bar uh, meows and the dog barks. That's not also a lot of people is... don't have common sense, eh? so absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, where where does this take us? So how? I mean, of course, we have a lot of fantastic books and thought experiments and a lot of. Uh, interesting pop culture kind of discussions you know if you think about black mirror and things like that but um, what's what's in the future for us and and you know we've been talking a lot about uh, ethics and we clearly see that there are that are issues that are we have algorithm bias we have uh, uh, um unintended consequences of ai right so people are develop engineers and and people are trying to 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 develop these uh, these amazing uh, applications that can help people and provide value but in doing so because of intentional or unintentional uh, uh, biases things happen along the way right and to the extreme we get with this uh, this uh, this extreme example of the um, a paperclip maximizing uh, uh, AI that basically destroys the, the the universe in for a very silly reason, which is producing more and more paperclips. Um, but what's in the future? So what if you if you I mean think about the fact that uh, we we will have students and we will have people working uh, in in companies uh, in different types of industries uh, in Europe, but also beyond. We might have some policy makers. We might have some journalists. What would be some things that that people should should think about, should consider when they think, when they write, when they work around AI, and maybe if we can also relate a bit to the notion of uh, sustainability, because we've talked a lot about ethics, but how can AI also help us deal with some of the issues that uh, that we are we are we are seeing now and that are also very hot when it comes to 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 politics and uh, and debate. And I know that's not an uh, an easy task to do, but I just put it on the table, and I'm curious what you what you think. Right. So that's big question. <laughs> and uh, look, the short answer is uh, that we need to get back to people and uh, making sure that these uh, AI principles you know, that we've been talking. And a lot of countries uh, uh, have a producer. I, I mentioned that I have this collaboration with the Department of Industry here in Australia. And the department has recently published the AI principles for Australia, 
which are influenced by the cultural background over here. I'm pretty sure that in Finland, as well in China, in Russia, in Italy, it may be different. You never know. Uh, so my my ideal future is that we actually have some global AI principles that are uh, cross-cultural, sort of a common sense, as you as you mentioned, Robert, uh, to become really you know, the adopted principles where uh, data scientists, data engineers, uh, software engineers uh, actually comply to. But comply not in a sense of uh, we are forced to, but because we believe this is the best way of producing uh, software applications, hardware applications uh, that can uh, have this sort of principles. So this is one part of it, uh, making people talk to each other. And then the second part is uh, uh, when uh, whoever is working, on producing this algorithm again, the, the, the inclusiveness should be reflected in the team itself. Diversity and inclusive, inclusivity, inclusiveness. <laughs> We've been talking a lot, uh, no, in different aspects in recruitment, no. So making sure that there are, uh, there is a, a recruitment for men and women that is uh, uh, fair. That there are uh, salaries are paid equally between men and female or any other cultural background. It's not just a binary world, right? So we want to encourage DNI. But DNI applies also to producing AI software and hardware. Because if we have a team that is uh, diverse, the, the output is diverse. Because if someone doesn't think about uh, that there is uh, that aspect to consider, then you can't blame the team. They just didn't know. And then the output is uh, an algorithm, a software application that didn't have that uh, consideration in mind. So we need to start uh, making sure that uh, whoever is behind no, the production of a software algorithm application of AI has DNI at its core, as part of the as a strong value within the organization. Just quickly, by DNI, you mean diversity and inclusiveness, just to be sure. That's that, it. Uh, okay, that's, awesome. That's the one. <laughs> Martina. Yeah, I I think it's spot on what Stefana was um, mentioning now. And I would like to go back to saying that, yeah, bias comes from people and we need to have this more diversity in teams. But there is another thing that came to my mind, uh, which is another maybe buzzword that I've heard throughout the last couple of years, and that's um, algorithm aversion. And that a lot of employees or working with chatbots or are having some kind of aversion towards are not the moment as stupid and not contributing well. And then they don't want to interact with them. They don't want to teach them. And that becomes a problem again, because if there is no uh, co-creation between humans and algorithms, then I don't see that we are going to develop them in the direction that we would like to, uh, even with all these principles at hand. So there also needs to be openness from all the people working with algorithms to actually train them uh, to be less biased. Mm. Yep, totally and, agree. Uh, yep. Maybe, maybe as a, to, to kind of push the, the conversation to, to, to the end. So we, we live in, in interesting times, uh, whether we, we, we like to or not. And uh, we are exposed to, to unprecedented developments in this uh, information and communication technology when it comes to digital platforms, when it comes to data, when it comes to, to uh, analytics and, and uh, machine learning and, and applications. And uh, um, we are still in the point where we are we are just again just scratching the surface and try to figure out how these things work and uh, what's going to happen but in a in an ideal future what would you how do how do you, how would you say you know if 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 uh, we don't manage to to blow ourselves up by 2050 how does how do humans and uh, and AI live and work together in 2050? Again, uh, you have uh, absolute full creative rights on on this. And uh, what is the ideal future? Are we living in a world where machines do most of the heavy work for us, and we get 
to 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 just enjoy uh, um, uh, following our our passions and creative kind of uh, um, uh, outputs or how do you see it what is the what is your scenario for the future Martina what do you think <laughs> <laughs> thanks <laughs> for giving me the stage uh, yeah I I always like to think that I would you know I just don't want the society to be oppressed by robots and, and AI, that we somehow get to the future in which we can cohabit, we can learn from each other, we can co-create, uh, and it's it's a better future. It's not that we are yes. going to be, yeah, walked by robots and machines. Yes, I think that's, that's a very simple, uh, but that's what I hope for. Exactly. Look, uh, we can come out with a lot of uh, scenarios that would be an incredible plot for some Hollywood movies, but I, I honestly don't want that. <laughs> uh, what what I want is that we apply AI for good purposes, for protect the environment, for re resolving or minimizing the risk connected to climate change, for preventing situations as we had this year, where we are all able you know, to uh, anticipate uh, uh, risk connected to uh, pandemics. And I can think of application of AI for good uh, that, uh, you know, in um, 20 years or 30 years from now can give uh, sight uh, to the blinded, can give voice to people that cannot speak, can uh, improve the mobility of people or make uh, uh, people that live in uh, areas uh, of war or uh, no, uh, emerging countries uh, access to education, identity that we don't have. Now, not strictly connected to uh, AI, but uh, our report from uh, WHO is uh, that there are over a billion people that live without an identity. And uh, this means they don't have any form of access to any sort of services, education, employment, and so on. And I'm not talking about digital identity, your Facebook account. Here I'm talking your identity, your credit, your um, identity card, your passport. So they are people that don't exist. A billion is one in seven of the the worldwide population. So and this is the challenge that we need to address. And I, and I want to see robots, AI helping also in uh, pr protecting our cultural heritage. We are more and more global. Uh, we are easy to move around, probably a bit less this year, but you know, <laughs> we, we move around uh, very much and we live everywhere. Where is uh, Where are our roots, our cultural background going? So again, AI program that can help preserve languages, preserve culture, preserve and help people that cannot travel and also have the possibility to actually immerse themselves into traveling. A dream of mine, if I can really put the last word on, on a dream here, is uh, the possibility to create uh, um, uh, augmented reality or virtual reality where we can immerse ourselves and travel to places and explore places without actually going there. Because yes, it's not the same, I agree, but our carbon footprint can be reduced and we still enjoy the experience and we meet people uh, from everywhere and every site. That is a good application of AI, in my opinion. All right. Um, listening to your conversation, it kind of got me thinking of uh, of uh, Gary Kasparov of all people, and uh, he has a he has a, a very interesting uh, TED talk and uh, and also a book. And um, so that probably Gary Kasparov can be can be considered one of the first victims of AI, and I put that under mm -hmm. under inverted commas because. Uh, uh, he he was uh, he was the grandmaster at the uh, at chess that was defeated by the machine. Uh, yes. So there was a machine developed by IBM that was optimized for for playing chess, and it completely it, it defeated the the best chess player in the world. And that was already in the 90s. And of course nowadays we also had the AlphaGo, which is which is a, a bit of a more complex story, but still. Kasparov is is the first victim, right? Uh, again, inverted commas. And um, very interestingly, in his TED talk, uh, he he in his book, he he actually talks about what what both are you guys are are saying, which is that uh, 
we shouldn't be afraid of the fact that AI, I mean, he was, he basically learned from the fact that yes, the machine can do those things better than him. And he was the best in the world at that. But he also understands that we don't need to be afraid of that. And we need to, to mm -hmm. learn how to work with that. And, and Martina used the word co-create. So how can humans and machine get the best out of each other? Because yes, the machines can, can, can be much better at computation and optimization, but there are still a things which relate maybe to common sense, culture, et cetera, et cetera, that are still inherently human. And those things can uh, feed into the machines and into the learning once technology evolves and, and we do that. But we do see that as people, we also have a responsibility that we understand that we need to contribute to that and we need to work with the machine towards our own goals, right? Because as you, Stefano, were saying, AI can play a fantastic role in maintaining and and cherishing culture but you know if done in the wrong way it can also rewrite history to the extent yeah. that you know some so, particular you know yeah. people prefer to 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 provide a particular view of events and so on so that's that's something that has to do with uh, with engineers but it also has to do with researchers and educators and policymakers and journalists so i think uh, it's a really interesting time to be thinking and working and writing uh, uh, about AI, machine learning and all sorts of applications. So thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today and for bringing a lot of very interesting points and, and, and things to, to, to consider. And um, if people would like to get in touch with you, uh, how, can they, uh, how can they do that? With if they have some questions or if they want to 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 react, they can write an uh, augmented reality software to travel to Australia and, get, and come and find me. That sounds very good. How about you, Martina? It's much easier for me. They can just send me an email, <laughs> and right, I guess so we can leave our contact. Uh, yeah, at the that's end. what I <laughs> wanted to say. We would uh, we would provide our our contact details. So if someone wants to. Uh, uh, to, to find out more, then at least they know where to do that. All right, so uh, thank you very much for taking the time for this and for, for your uh, uh, really, really insightful thoughts and comments. And I hope this was, enjoy, uh, this was a pleasant experience for you as well. And uh, with that, I say uh, goodbye and uh, look forward to the next episodes of the podcast. <laughs>